Hi there, it's Melvin. Just wanted to take a moment to thank the team over at Thryzer for supporting this month's podcast sessions. Thryzer is a payment platform that you have to check out if you are a private pay therapist and accepting out-of-network benefits. It basically helps clients save on therapy up front. Thryzer can help verify a client's out-of-network benefit ahead of the first session so that they get transparency up front on what their out-of-pocket costs will be. I'll tell you more about Thryzer here in the middle of our session, but if you go to sellingthecouch.com forward slash Thryzer, uh, you actually end, then enter the code STC upon sign up, you get your first $2,500 in fees waived. Again, that's over at sellingthecouch.com forward slash Thryzer and be sure to enter the promo code STC. So we'll jump right into today's podcast session. Hello, hello. Welcome to session 87 of Selling the Couch. Hope you're having a delightful week. Thank you so much for taking the time to listen to this week's episode. So we are talking all about selecting a location for your private practice and selecting additional locations as your private practice expands. My guest today is Jim Jonas, who is a licensed independent clinical social worker, as well as a licensed marriage and family therapist out in Minnesota. And Jim actually went to school just outside of Philly, and so we actually connected on that level as well. Jim is an absolute delight. He has a ton of experience. I mean, decades worth of experience in private practice, and he's learned quite a few things. He currently has expanded his practice into six different locations. So we're going to cover a lot of things today with regard to finding that location, that ideal location for your practice. Before we get to today's episode, just wanted to take a moment to thank the support of Brighter Vision, who is sponsoring this week's podcast. Brighter Vision is a company that helps therapists make beautiful private practice websites. You can find more information at sellingthecouch.com forward slash Brighter Vision, and that gives you a 30-day free trial. In today's session, we're going to cover a number of things. So, for example, what are some of the factors that Jim considers in selecting a location for his practice? How does he handle it if he wants to expand or he's thinking about a location that's already saturated with clinicians? And what are some of the best places to look to actually find available offices? And what are some of the two to three common mistakes that he's made and that he's noticed that new practitioners make in selecting a location for their private practice, their first location? And then we turn that question to what do you do? What is a common mistake that he's noticed as seasoned clinicians make as they expand into multiple and additional locations? There's a ton of great information today's session. We'll get right to it. Here's my conversation with Jim Jonas from the JonasCenter.com. Hi, Jim. Welcome to Selling the Couch. Well, hi, Melvin. Really nice to be here. I'm looking forward to our conversation. I feel like you are just a wealth of knowledge and wisdom. And this is a topic, finding the location for a private practice that I think so many clinicians struggle with. And we're looking forward to hearing from you. 
Well, thank you. I hope I can pass on a little bit of wisdom. <laughs> <laughs> so we laughed about this when I asked this question, you know, we were thinking about this, but what in the world motivated you to go into a solo private practice? Well, let me give you the a little history here. I mean, I, I started my solo private practice in 1994. Mm. So it goes way back then. And what motivated me? I wanted to be on my own. Mm. And there is an entrepreneurial piece to me that wanted to be my own boss. And part of this, the building of it was starting part-time in private practice, and I had worked previously, you know, in some group practices where I was given the experience, and that really felt good, the experience to do outpatient mental health, and then, you know, kind of figure out what I needed to do. But I'll tell you, that dive into solo private practice was very anxiety-provoking for me. It's like, you know, the first time you rent an office, you know, trying to figure out, okay, yeah, where should I go? And then that, will people come? To get over that hurdle was huge for me and getting a lot of reassurance from people and having some bumps along the way with, with some of the previous people I had worked with. I learned quite a bit and was determined to make it work. So started out part time and I had a family back then also. So, you know, I, I'm saying it was a conservative approach. Mm because I had a full-time job during the day, and then I'd see people at night. I just think, like, it's amazing how many clinicians do that, right? Like, I mean, to manage families and to manage full-time jobs while having the courage to go and do a solo practice. Yeah. I think it takes, you know, a different kind of person, one with that spirit of, I want to say, independence. You know, the biggest thing for me was how scary it was. Mm -hmm. But then after I got going... It's like, okay, this is working. I can do it. I mean, I used to submit insurance forms, the, the old HICFA 1500, you know, and you'd have to have everything set exactly on your printer because otherwise after you mailed them in, uh-huh. you, they'd come back. You know, the margin was off, so you have to resubmit. Oh, my and gosh. <laughs> I went through that. Oh, my God. Yeah. Oh, my gosh is right. So that was my meeker beginnings back in 94. You said earlier that just the thought of jumping in solo was so anxiety provoking. You said like eventually you overcame that and and worked through it. Were there kind of like seminal moments or like seminal, like people that just helped you work through that? Or how did you even shift from this mind of having anxiety and fear to I can do it? You know, I did have, I'm thinking of two people in particular and two other therapists and they went through some of the same bumps I went through and getting their support. And I want to say with one, it was following her lead because she had gone off on this and, and, you know, she put me in contact with the landlord who she trusted. And I kept feeling, well, I I guess one of my basic beliefs is how important relationship is within everything we do. Mm. And, you know, I I trusted her and she trusted the landlord. And so that made it easier. And she did hold my hand a bit getting through those initial anxieties. Well, I think we forget that, like, in this world of, like, marketing and networking, like, those kind of words, we forget sometimes the value of the relationships that we already have, you know, whether it's former colleagues or professors or folks we went to school with, whatever it is. Oh, for sure, for sure. And, you know, I'm thinking, well, 
it was my father-in-law talked about don't ever burn bridges. Mm. You'll never know, you know, when you may need or want someone or, you know, reconnect with someone. And I just I think that's a great philosophy to live by. Yeah. I mean, especially I think as a small business owner where, you know, in a field like I just think about like so many of the conversations I've had on this podcast. And one thing that's come up is what you just said, the value of relationships. Mm-hmm. So you had this landlord that you were connected to, but what are some of those factors that, that went into trying to figure out where you were actually going to house your private practice? Yeah, you know, initially I was looking, well, I started my private practice in an area near where I used to work. Mm. So I had connections there already with therapists in the community and with clients in the community. And I think, you know, one of the biggest things is, you know, having people return or refer people to you within that community. The other thing I'm thinking, well, one of the things is that, you know, it's convenient when you locate within the community that you want to work in. Well, okay, obviously, <laughs> but providing a warm, welcoming and respectful environment, you know, treating clients as human beings is so important. You know, just that basic human respect. And I have heard, you know, people working in bigger agencies where, or and clients feeling like they're numbers rather than, you know, rather than people. I mean, that's such a good point because I think that's one of the things that we can do differently when we have a solo practice is, I think it's, this is from Yalom, it's the Every client has one therapist, even though a therapist may have many clients. Right? Yeah. Yes. And I think sometimes yep. we forget that. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. And one of the things, and I had listened to a previous podcast of yours, you know, just talking about the ups and downs of, of the practice and whether it's in solo practice or now as an agency director, <laughs> you go through the same thing. Mm. You know, it's like people, you know, referrals come and so you, you don't know why. And then sometimes the phone doesn't ring and you wonder, will the phone ever ring again? Or will <laughs> someone connect with you ever again? And, you know, and then it picks up again. And it, I know that's been, I've learned to have faith in the process mm. and to trust that, yes, people will come. <laughs> so. Yeah, it's so interesting how our minds go from one extreme to the other, right? Oh, yes, yeah. But, yeah. Like, And this theme has come up recently. You're absolutely right. I think it seems like the best clinicians are the ones who appreciate the process and ride through the process instead of trying to fast forward it in some kind of way. Well, okay. And certainly that's how I came to develop my practice. I mean, it's been slow coming and I've, you know, as it expanded, you know, what happened is my father-in-law is a clinical social worker, retired now. My wife went back and got her master's or a post-master's degree in marriage and family therapy. So, you know, I went from solo to the three of us developing an agency mm-hmm. together. And then, you know, since then, my father-in-law retired and we moved, we expanded, mm-hmm. you know, and that's taken probably the last 10 years or so when we've just slowly expanded. Mm-hmm. And I had an opportunity to take over a clinic, mm-hmm. which 
didn't quite fall in my lap. It was one of those wonderful things that, that, you know, I was in the right place at the right time and people were interested in and trusted me to take over. And it was a small clinic. There were three people there mm-hmm. and that developed into my expanding into some other communities. So that's neat. So I wanted to make sure like we really teased out that pearl of wisdom, which is, you, instead of trying to go into like a random community, you went into a community where you already had relationships with in thinking about a location, right? Is that right? Yes. Yes. And, and there, yeah, there were relationships. You know, I have done it the other way too, where one of the lead, a couple of the lead therapists, you know, each individually would come to me and say, Hey, Jim, I think we should open up an office in, you know, this town mm-hmm. or that town. And I'm going, well, <laughs> and you know, and we did some research with the need, with the need assessment. And in the one place there were no therapists and the other place there were plenty of therapists. But I go back to relationship, Melvin, which is these therapists are good people and they're leaders and there's something about them that well, those leadership qualities. Mm-hmm. And so within that, I guess I trusted them and trusted my gut in, okay, let's open up an office here and see how it goes. Mm-hmm. Ultimately, part of my philosophy would also be rent isn't that expensive necessarily. You know, it's part of the whole expense, looking at all of your expenses. And so starting small, always starting small, mm-hmm. you know, has been key for me. Well, I mean, that thing is a pearl of wisdom, too, because I think sometimes we want, we almost have a dream of what our practice looks like, and we don't often think about the expenses and the time that it takes, right? So we'll jump into something, into like almost a cloth, right, before we're ready for that size of cloth. Right. And so that gets back to my philosophy about going slow. It's also... You know, having what I want to call the anchor therapist presence there. And if you don't have someone who's like that, you know, then it's got to be you who, who can be that anchor person and provide just uh, leadership guidance and provide the culture, which I have cultivated with all the therapists that are currently working for me, you know, just about that warm, respectful, treating clients very respectfully. And I kind of relate it to, I want to treat the therapists that are working for me like human beings. Mm -hmm. And I want them to treat clients (laughs) like human beings. And that gets back to my philosophy, basically with raising our children, our kids, which was treating them like human beings rather than kids. So I love that. I love that emphasis on relationship. Um, yes. One of the things that you talked about earlier was like thinking about, even when you think about like a location, a new location, you do like a needs-based assessment. That sounds like very complex. So do you guys do like in terms of, do you like studied like how many therapists are in the area? Like what are some of the things that you factor before even thinking about going into a location? Well, <laughs> I like your term, needs space. Let's see. Yeah, you know, we'll Google the town. We'll Google the area and see who's there. But that hasn't stopped me from opening up a practice where there's a lot of therapists. And that gets back to kind of my philosophy of the service that we deliver and that people will really, they'll want to come to us. Mm. And I guess that kind of is uh, a bit 
maybe gutsy on my part, but I truly believe that, you know, it's one of those things too, where I don't have like a non-compete clause or anything with people. Cause I figure I want to make therapists, you know, not want to leave here. And if they do, you know, I've got the confidence that we can both survive, you know, it'll work out. So, yeah. I mean, you're thinking about the relationship, not when they're just working for you, but also long term as well. Yes. And realizing, too, that, you know, people's lives change and, and respecting that, you know, whether they're out on pregnancy leave or going back to school or, or going to another agency. It's I really well in, in my previous history, I was a program coordinator and saw a lot of young therapists coming and going. And it's like, I love it when people can come to me and say, hey, I'm leaving because I'm going on to something that I've always dreamed about, mm-hmm. you know, that kind of thing. It's like, well, that's what life's all about, you know, to follow your dream and, and keep growing. I'm sure the folks that work for you are, I mean, they must, you know, to have that philosophy is just so refreshing, I think. Well, and I hope they feel that, and I, I believe they do. I do check in with them <laughs> regularly. Are you guys happy? You know, how's it going? That kind of thing. And and I, I know when I bring new people on, too, I've gotten to the point now where I don't advertise or anything for, you know, if I want to bring someone new on, it's, you know, either myself or a therapist knowing someone and thinking that they'd be a really good fit. And that's where we start. That's worked out really well for me. That's neat. You started to talk about this earlier, which, so it sounds like if a clinician is thinking about going into a geographic area that's already saturated with therapists, how do you handle that? So it sounds like part of it is just like trusting the process. And it sounds like part of it is you try to figure out how your practice provides something of unique value. Is that right? Yeah. Yes. Yes. I think, you know, somehow you have to stand out, mm-hmm. you know, and I know advertising is one thing i guess having if you don't have connections i think it's really hard but having connections whether it's with other therapists or you know or with someone within the community we haven't had that good of luck you know if you like go to a doctor's office and do a brochure or something like that now part of what we've done is uh, tried to provide some training you know for people within the community and you know that works out certainly better than walking around with brochures that's for sure because i think it's a different level of investment right like it's you're actually doing a presentation as opposed to yes yes it's and like a, a relationship something. gets formed i would imagine yeah yeah that's like the yeah. theme of our podcast conversation <laughs> well and you know that it's a real huge theme for me mm-hmm. i guess so the relationship the way i see it as well as a leader is making therapists' lives as easy as possible with the fewest obstacles so they can do what they love to do, mm-hmm. you know, and I kind of look at that as the trickle-down effect or, you know, if, if I treat the therapist well, then they're treating clients well, you know, and that culture does come through and that will carry you. Getting started without connections would be really difficult mm-hmm. and you know, I, I know we've had good luck with some of the social media, like the Psychology Today or Good Therapy. That has brought us some really good referrals for new people. But it, yeah, it's tough. Yeah, but I mean, I think it also, and other clinicians have said this, that ultimately it does come down to the relationships that you have with other providers, you know, other referral sources yeah. in the community that you work in. Yes, and I think once you get that going, 
then what happens is your clients will start referring other people to you, you know, and family members and that kind of thing. So this is a small tangent, but like, if you know this person in the community, right, that's like, whether it's another clinician or someone that might be in front of potential clients, how do you generally, do you give them a call? Like, what does that first interaction look like? Well, if I know someone in the community, I have them out for lunch, you know, and I pay for their lunch and uh, talk to them about, you know, not only how they did things and are doing things, you know, but where there might be some, some, you know, like the skill set that I have versus they have and, and how we could work together on that. I wanted to shift a little bit, which is, so you said one of the things that, one of the ways that you found office space by, was by the landlord that you knew. But what are some of the other like places to look to find available office space that you know of, that you can think of? Well, in our area, you know, I want to get back to how do you look for space? Mm. Google it, mm. and then you can get to a realtor, and then you can go and look at the space, and that's where it becomes what is the feel of that space? Mm. You know, and that's something that you get to after you're done, you know, with the realtor and that kind of thing. It's like, and it's got to be comfortable for you. You know, and, and for me, it was one of those things where, is this a warm space? Is it professional and inviting? Is it not clinical? Would my clients feel good coming here? And then, you know, something that fits your personality. Mm-hmm. So is this the, yeah, is this the kind of space that fits for me? Yeah, it's so interesting. Like, so part of it is gathering a lot of data in terms of, you know, how many clinicians are there, all of the Googling it, but... At some level, it's also, do I see myself in this space? And do I oh, see Oh, absolutely. And it's like entrusting your gut with that mm-hmm. and looking at a few spaces. But usually what I've found is that when I find a space, it's kind of like a knowing. Okay. <laughs> you know, it's like, okay, this is going to work. Mm-hmm. We got to do this. Do you look at like other stuff even when you're in that space? Like, I don't know, like parking spaces or windows or anything like that that like. Into- oh almost intuitively comes to your mind? Absolutely. Well, part of, I, I want to say that's part of the ambiance. That's part of the feng shui. So certainly windows, and I know in our office in the prairie here, you know, all of our windows are overlooking a golf course, which mm-hmm. is really nice. And, you know, sometimes it's creature comforts, like is the air conditioning, how does the HVAC work? <laughs> and do you do your windows open or not? That's a, another qualifier. You know, if you can talk to some other tenants, I think that would be a really good idea. You know, the affordability of it is also, you do have to consider that. But I would say it's worth a few extra dollars for for you to get the space that you feel comfortable with because I believe that that gets translated, you know, from the minute you meet your first client, that comfort that you feel within your space is going to get translated to that person. Oh, I can absolutely believe that because if you're proud of your space, I imagine it's a different energy, right? You do better work. (laughs) Yeah, that's certainly my belief, yeah. Jim, I wanted to wrap up with kind of a two-part question, which is, what would you say, and maybe I'll just break this into two parts, but what would you say are the the two to three most common mistakes that new practitioners make when selecting a location? And then the second part is that same question, but 
What are common mistakes as seasoned practitioners who are thinking about adding an additional location? What mistakes do they make? So that first part is just new practitioners who are trying to find a location. What's the three most common mistakes they make? Well, I can come up with a couple probably, but you know, one of the things, especially with new practitioners, it would be that getting sold by the realtor or whoever's showing you the space and just not taking the time to trust your instincts. It's also biting off more than you can chew because as a new practitioner and, you know, certainly the atmosphere around here is there's, you know, we're getting to the point where it's saturated in the Twin Cities here. And so insurance companies are restricting contracts that you can get. So it's taking a look at that to make sure that if you want to do insurance that you've got that or if the community could support, you know, a cash basis kind of payment. Mm. I think that's really important because, you know, ultimately if you bite off more than you can chew, you're going to end up closing shop and you really don't want to do that. I think, you know, seasoned people adding sites, for me, I have always kept this managing, you know, like to manage it and to go slow and to not grow too quickly. And how I also do, (laughs) it gets back to what I had mentioned a little bit before about, you know, if I've got a relationship with a really good therapist, I have taken a risk on that. And I've opened an office, you know, where she and I have discussed, you know, where this would be, where we think it'd be a good idea And also, you know, the fact that she did have some, certainly some community contacts here. But I think that managing and the timing of opening an office is really key. And, you know, I'm trying to think if I can describe that better. I think like what you're saying is like not taking a leap until you're ready, if that makes sense. Yes, And making sure, you know, assuring yourself as much as you can that it's not too big a leap. Right. Definitely. Yeah, because it's more than just about the location. It's often all of the other costs (laughs) and factors that play into that sort of graduation. Yes. Yeah. So. Yeah. I mean. Yeah. That's cool. Jim, thank you so much for doing this. I know that the past couple of years you guys have been so busy creating some different content and different products to help our field. So tell us a little bit more about that. Thanks, Melvin. The short version is I was complaining to my son who's in marketing and some computer technology about the EHR that I was using. And one day we were talking about this and my complaining led to, well, dad, we can build one ourselves. (laughs) (laughs) That was three years ago in a garage, okay? (laughs) And, And now... We've got it going and we launched, this is a very short story, but we launched the system in November last year and it's really geared towards solo and small group, you know, private practices in the mental health field. It's called Breezy Notes EHR and that's exactly, we try and make it easy and simple for people and strictly for the folks who are doing outpatient mental health because I had gotten frustrated with all the other distractions in the EHR I was using and some of the other ones that I had seen. So That's really neat. Um, sometimes I think the, the best solutions are the ones where we recognize a, a pain point and a frustration and we just create something to address it. Yeah, 
That's what we were doing. I thought it was going to be a lot of fun and that, you know, just fun. Yeah. It's a lot of work too, but, <laughs> but it's, it's also been a lot of fun and very rewarding working with, well, working with my son, which is that relationship thing again, and the other people that we have on board here. So that's, definitely. That's really neat. And I told you this privately, but I just wanted to acknowledge it like publicly, like you have such a beautiful spirit and I'm grateful, like for your knowledge for coming on and, you know, for doing everything that you do to help others and to help our field. Well, well, th- thank you, Melvin. I really appreciate that comment. And yeah, I want to keep passing it on. That's for sure. Sounds good. Take good care. Hi there. Hope you enjoyed my conversation with Jim. I just have to say there was just something so authentic and so genuine about Jim. And I we had never met prior to today's session. There was just something that I just felt so connected with him. So hope you enjoyed a lot of the wisdom that Jim has learned along the way. Show notes to today's episode and some of those resources that Jim mentioned can be found at sellingthecouch.com forward slash session and the number 87. As Jim mentioned, he also has recently created Breezy Notes with along with his son, which evolved out of this need to create uh, a better private practice management solution for his practice. You can, again, check that out at breezynotes.com. And Jim's private practice website is at thejonascenter.com. And it can give you a great idea of how Jim manages, especially as he's expanding the locations, how he manages to place all of those locations on one website and as he's expanded and added clinicians, how he manages all of that as well. Finally, just wanted to wrap up by thanking Perry and the team at Brighter Vision for supporting today's podcast. Brighter Vision is this company that helps you make absolutely beautiful private practice websites. I know that starting out in private practice, as I'm about to jump back into the world of private practice, I know that there are so many things to manage, and I know that building a private practice website can be one of those really big aspects. And so Brighter Vision is a company that takes care of all of that for you and then helps manage your website as you continue to add content month after month. You can get a free 30-day trial. Just check them out at sellingthecouch.com forward slash Brighter Vision. And I just alluded to it, but uh, I am in the process of jumping back into the world of private practice. I was in a group practice for almost three years and took a break as Selling the Couch has expanded and and grew at a a rate faster than I expected. But um, the whole point of doing Selling the Couch was for me to learn some of these lessons as well. So in the coming episodes and in the coming months, I'm looking forward to sharing some of the things that I'm learning as I jump back into the world of private practice. My private practice website will be at melvinvarghese.com. If you're accessing this in the short-term future, it'll likely direct to selling the couch, but um, that's where my future private practice website will be. And I've decided to work with overwhelmed entrepreneurs. I just feel like this is a passion that I've developed over this past year. 
uh, just building out selling the couch and a lot of the unspoken struggles and fears and doubts that creep up when it comes to being an entrepreneur. And I just feel like my passion and I can do a lot and I feel like I can do a lot in helping that population out. Have a great rest of your week. Thank you again for taking the time to tune in. Take good care. Bye. Thanks for listening to the Selling the Couch podcast. For more great content and to stay up to date, visit www.sellingthecouch.com. So if you've been listening to the STC podcast for a while or you've been listening to podcasts and you've had this thought of, Mel, I would love to launch my own podcast in order to grow my business, just wanted to encourage you to check out our free podcasting workshop, which is over at sellingthecouch.com forward slash podcasting workshop. You can basically sign up at a day and a time that works for you. It's 90 minutes. And when I do these workshops or when I record them, I truly believe in the quality teaching, so it's going to be well worth your time. We're going to go through gear recommendations and how to launch strategically and how to think about monetizing your podcast and how to line up your podcast with your existing offers and how to do it strategically and authentically uh, and not salesy and slimy um, and all of those things. So again, the link is over at sellingthecouch.com forward slash podcasting workshop.